Are we recording? <laughs> oh yeah! It's like <laughs> a year from now. <laughs> Macho. Oh man, that's Vincy. I like that my kids know that I'm healthy and strong and fit, and that their mom is healthy and strong and fit. Like, okay, I can still get better without having to do a max effort every single day. Smashing yourself on the roller for uh, an hour, right? you're good by the next day as long as you had a, a sandwich in the net. Yeah, I guess this is the intro. <laughs> so, Martin, why don't you just give people a bit of a background on, yeah, I guess where you are in the world and who you are. But uh, before that, again, the point of this, like I was describing to you before I started recording, is uh, to, to just to have an interview with a coach. I picked you because I, like you said, you sent me your articles and I'd read them and I really liked them, even, if, even though I didn't respond on your third one, now that I think of it. And so I reread them again. Um, and yeah, I, I, I thought it'd be a good for, good for us to have a discussion uh, and which we were, you and I were talking about initially. Um, it's really important for coaches to not only just live in the theoretical world, but to live in the practical, actual coaching realm. And then to also discuss what you actually do and to kind of think out loud, right? And write and write things like you have and examine your own ideas and just put them out there for people to listen to or to read and, and then to critique or to just talk with you about, right? So that's the, I guess this is like the culmination of the 2021 year for my uh, coaches reading list, but we'll post this as a uh, podcast as well on our, um, on our podcast because I know lots of people will be interested in listening to this. So yeah, so that's the reason we're having a discussion. And uh, yeah, Martin, so just tell people where you actually, uh, yeah, just tell people where you're from, who you are, what you do, and how you and I know each other. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I'm this uh, middle-aged guy, uh, or or I'm a middle-aged coach uh, uh, living in Sweden in the, the snowy north on the opposite side of the world. Um, I've I. I've always been doing sports uh, when I was a kid, you know, when sports wasn't, when training didn't exist as a separate sport, <laughs> sports were doing sports and competing and all that. And when I grew up, I, my, my sport of, of, of choice or the sport I actually tried to, to get uh, as good as I could and was, was badminton. Uh, so I, I did that uh, throughout my teens. And I, I, I became fairly proficient, but well, at some point, I, I think I made a national team as a, as a junior, but when turning senior, I, it, it could have been that I, I realized I wasn't that, that gifted as an athlete as I thought as I, I would, or that I just discovered uh, wine uh, and girls. That's probably kind of 50% of both of those. Anyways, um, delving into wine and girls for a couple of years, and then I came back in, into into sports again. Uh, and actually, I, I started to work as a as a sports as a badminton trainer uh, as a profession uh, while studying uh, philosophy and sociology, and then eventually computer science because I realized I needed that job where I could actually pay my pay my bills eventually. Um, I kept training a little bit, but but now I took took up uh, some martial arts and uh, and I started working as a computer programmer and did, did this um, this combination of uh, of uh, martial arts and and uh, and <laughs> having an actual job normal job for for a, for a number of years until I until I got injured 
uh, as you do doing martial arts. And then I did. And this is quite funny. I mean, in retrospect, because uh, everyone knows that you get injured by doing CrossFit, right? But I started to do CrossFit because I was injured from martial arts. Uh, there's apparently there's even worse sports. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and and given that that CrossFit has has made some progress as well, we're not injuring people to that extent anymore as we did in the in the early years. But anyways, right. I got involved to, with yeah. To cut you off here, <laughs> just just to add the context to it, you own a CrossFit gym. I do own a CrossFit. I, I started Sweden's first CrossFit gym uh, back in the, the I don't know 2009. We opened our affiliate, but. Yeah, we, we started doing CrossFit training before that, maybe 2006, 2007. Somewhere along these years, I, I, I kind of, I, I got, I mean, I got completely uh, madly in love with this, this, this new sport or this new way of seeing stuff. And, 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 and remember too that, that, and you, and you do as well. This was before CrossFit was a sport. Um, nobody thought about competing in this back in 2005 six seven until was it 2008 the first one 2007 seven, seven yeah when when your brother won it yeah uh but but it kind of it was it was so different then uh it was a really good like a training paradigm some something that you could do like for for life possibly because it was fun and challenging and it, and and wasn't like full retard in any direction and uh, wait <laughs> turned into a couple of years later uh, i i quit i quit my j job <laughs> went went into opening a box which i mean nobody here made a living on being a trainer really so it's kind of a leap of faith doing that uh, but i but i loved it anyways uh, uh, after a few years we just realize like all of us that was into into this uh, at that point in time that well people at first when people that start doing doing a very kind of extreme sport they are also usually quite durable <laughs> and 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 the ones that started that back in those days we we just I mean, we would have been the same people that started some like extreme, extreme downhill skiing or mountain biking or whatever. Uh, we probably could take falling off a bike or, or falling into a tree or whatever without dying. But after a while, like normal people also um, started to, to come into our, our gym and it became quite apparent that we need to learn how to do stuff better man uh, because people wanted us to want wanted wanted us to fix them rather than break them and and somewhere somewhere along those times i i got into touch with your with your brother and i ended up kind of taking part in in the early day optimum performance training kind of the, the blog the, the kind of different training like planned training in, in a different matter and a little more kind of I guess what what your brother was doing was I guess researching what what would work and what what he could steal from other sports and and uh, kind of it, it was more of a scientific endeavor uh, I guess um, I dwelled into that for a, for a number of years and then became friends with your brother and and then we met somewhere somewhere here uh, I think the first time we actually met in person was at the 2014 games. Could have been 16, 
16 games? Uh, I was at, I don't remember. I was at both of those. Um, it, must, yeah. so it, might have been, it might have been 2014. Did you have an athlete there in 2014? I did. I did. I, I did not, uh, but I was yeah. there. Yeah. So Anyways, we, yeah. Okay, we, we circled around each other for, for a number of years. Haven't met that many times, but. And but, then the, um, you can't forget the legendary Dublin drinking camp. <laughs> and that, that way, that, yeah, that kind of cemented it all, right? <laughs> laid, the, laid the foundation of a, a yeah. long, long friendship. A friendship that's, 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 that's founded in, in Guinness. It's good friendship. It's funny because we're, we're coming up on six years of myself and you and Bjorn and, and Mikal and, um, um, and Dara just sending beer images back and forth in our group chat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that's coaching for you, man. <laughs> yes. Anyways, I've I've uh, so along those lines, I've I I guess I I, I drifted more and more into uh, my own way of of coaching people, and it's um, it's way less um, theoretical or 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 planning driven, you might say, and way more uh, centered around uh, talking to people and 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 just kind of trying to keep myself more attached to to what i'm seeing the, the re- reality of what what the day-to-day struggles for my athletes are rather than having all these kind of progressive overloads with volume or intensity that we all pretty much started with uh, and 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 that have culminated i guess uh, with the start of my blog where i Constantly, I think I have 35 uh, articles saying pretty much the same thing <laughs> over and over again. Is that well, it's it's really good to to know your shit, uh, but you should also uh, really you should also keep keep your your head uh, and your eyes set on 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 what's really in front of you. Kind of if if you have to choose between the map and the reality, then maybe you should go for for reality. Yeah. Yeah, so that's great. So uh, I guess that gives us, a, and you still own and run CrossFit Uppsala, right? You still coach there. Yep. And, yeah, good. Yeah. You still, yeah. Work with, you still work with people that compete in CrossFit as well, right? I do. I do. Actually, this this weekend is the, this, uh, the functional fitness, the IF3 World Championship, and I, I am responsible for, for the national team of Sweden. So um, I will coach quite high level athletes just few days from now yeah that's something that's an outgrowth of the of the crossfit movement right and then trying something to try to be organized and standardized and uh, to be recognized by the ioc as a, as a sport of functional fitness so it's different um and a different discussion but yeah i was at the the if3 world championships in sweden and 2019 and in london 2018 and they were they were great there's a lot of fun um yeah okay so just maybe just like so, um, the real focus of the of what of what of one of the articles you wrote is the map or the territory, um, and yeah. So, like, why do you think you started, to, or why did you? Well, yeah, well, I guess what's the genesis of it? Why did you write this? And and I guess what what are the main problems you're addressing, or what are the main ideas you're presenting, um, in this? And you you don't have to focus on the first, second, or third. You can just talk you said they are kind of a stream of consciousness that's just kind of arbitrarily cut off sort of thing yep but either way there's three parts um 
which people should read so they can understand what you're saying and the problems you're addressing. And yeah, yeah. there's a lot of there's a lot of really great sections to it. And I think people would enjoy it and definitely learn from it. So yeah. What why did, why did you come to write that or what did you think the point of it was? So um yeah, I during during the last couple of years I've 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 come to see some some problems that, that arise and, and kind of luring me in the wrong direction many times as well. Uh, that is just this problematic for 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 most coaches that I meet. And and I, I wanted to address that. And I think that the map for the territory is kind of it it becomes a discussion of a lot of people start by um by kind of sketching a map. And then they they go go about to, to describe how athletes should train from that map rather than doing it uh, the other way around. So the main thing is that well, I think it just can can be done better um, than than doing this. And and especially I think in order to, I mean, in order to to develop athletes to become really good or really great and also have a good time doing that is that you need to be able to build a strong relationship with your athletes. And this does not mean that you should be just a funny guy, the, the, the great friend, uh, because you also have to deliver, right? You have to de deliver results. You have to be com competent and, and be able to, to up their game. So it's, it's not about being a friend. It's about, it's about being just a, being a, a a nice person person that you enjoy to to do your day-to-day -day training with and uh, there is so many problems with building that relationship if you only invite them into your world your world of of kind of com complementary training and using your language and your phrases and talking about back squats and sets and reps and and, and all that 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 coaches usually do and it would be so much more beneficial if you if you could have all this knowledge that you do that you must have as a as, as a complementary coach right have all that that theoretical uh, and technical knowledge but be able to express it in the language of your athletes and and there is for First of all, I think that the relationship will be a better and longer one. I think that uh, athletes wouldn't be as injured as they oftentimes are, and I also think that you that the transfer the transfer of whatever you do in the gym would be so much greater than than it is uh, if if you're not doing that doing it that way. And there is a, a couple of of problems here. Is that there is. Uh, there is a risk of starting to delve, delve into that there is something fundamental beneath the surface, kind of within every athlete, that you'd have to uncover in order to build a better and more stable performance later on. So to, in order to, to build a high peak, that you should build a broad base, kind of the, the metaphor of the pyramid, right? Which is a great metaphor if you're an architect, because pyramids are dead things and and they're built upon stones and humans are not so i don't think that's a metaphor that really works well to describe what we're doing as as performance coaches but many people use that metaphor still and and they kind of get stuck into thinking that if we do something a broad and general ability upon that we can we can put more intensity upon that uh, without without risk or with lower risk which i do not think is true uh, 
and also that there is a risk of, of trying to uncover that whatever's hidden beneath the surface is that you get less less good at seeing what's on the surface what people can actually improve like now like today uh, see where people actually do struggle or win in races and just try to build upon that uh, i mean a lot of the times you, you don't even necessarily need to improve like physical qualities you just need to kind of improve your 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 ability to 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 use tactics and and pacing and and whatnot probably uh probably pro that could probably be used to a to a greater extent uh than it than it's used now let's take an example uh, i i don't know how how much or i do know <laughs> pretty much how much an experienced weightlifter increased their their total every year and that's usually coming down to maybe one half of a percent Maybe 1%. Well, let's give the benefit of a doubt and give them 2%. Right? One year of training, maybe two sessions of a day on a, you know, Eastern block program where you do all the, all the snatches and all the clean and jerks. Well, I mean, how, how much would you improve or, or uh, on, on the op opposite side, how much worse would you get just of something silly like not sleeping or fighting with your, with your girlfriend or, you know, uh, being anxious about uh, the upcoming competition or just selecting the wrong weights in the competition, right? There's so, you, 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 I mean, your, your back squat can, can probably differentiate with 30% uh, of a one night without sleep, right? Uh, so there's so much more on the surface that's, or so much more, more that you could kind of, well, not, let's not say optimize because I don't really like that word, but so much more that you could protect from the risk of, 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 of decreasing capacity just by, um, just by not taking that much risk and, and just by talking about things or, or just using tactics rather than, than pushing and pushing and pushing all these physical qualities, which also impose, impose the great risk of, I mean, if you're trying to push everything to the actual edge of performance or how much you can handle in training, you're also getting quite close to, to that edge where you, well, you guess wrongly and you, and you cause an injury. And injuries pretty much puts a stop to, to everything, all performance gains. And, and also, so not only that, but also possibly can harm your relationship with your athletes. I've seen so many athletes just quit or get unhappy and just stop from pushing, pushing the edges forward rather than just, well, why, why push the edges? Why not take the, to take the more easy route, but still increase every single day, increase with smaller, smaller portions. And, well, so that was that was the main thing that I, I started out writing about. So uh, trying how how to how to see what's hidden in plain sight, right? How not, not to get lured into the idea that there is something something beneath that surface that needs to be uncovered in order to to increase performance. But then it kind of then it kind of evolved into to the next the next part of that where I uh, touched upon base training. Uh, and from 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 my pers perspective, there's not too much support of the idea of base training. And um, I haven't seen many people 
build a higher peak on that broader base. But I have seen plenty of people lose that peak. So for, for instance, I'm, I'm active in, in, in cycling and, and sprint cycling, track cycling, uh, where you measure a win or a loss with, well, hundreds of a second. And there's just so small mar margins, right? So your top speeds pretty much, it, it, it's, it depends everything, all the outcomes in, in a race. You have to have that speed in order to kind of pursue and use the tactics of winning a race. And if you're off, like with that top speed, if you lose 5% of your top speed, you'd, you'd be dead as an athlete. And going into these base periods, pretty much means that you start, you stop touching on your top speed and you lose your top speed intentionally, right? You back off. You take, you take, a, you take a slower period where you build base. Uh, you, you, you do more, you, you build maximum strength and, and some endurance maybe. And well, usually when you, when you back up and, and do some more, more intensive training and some more sport specific training, uh, usually that top speed comes back, usually. But I, I, I haven't seen many periods with more risk of not getting that back. I, I guess you've seen that as well, Michael, that when people take a break and they never really get back again. I would say taking a, a complete break from, from speed and intensity and, and power is probably the most risky thing you can do as an athlete because it might, just might not come back. And it's so easy to uphold, right? And the thing is that if you have all these base periods and, and you kind of have the, uh, you know, the, the phase potentiation and the idea that you can, you can build upon, well, you have maximum strength and upon that you build power, right? Uh, why couldn't you do this in a really short period? If you could do it in a long period, why couldn't you do it in a really short period, like in one session? And if you do that, the only thing kind of speaking against it is that, well, you can kind of increase your performance gains with that broad base and that higher peak, if that would possibly be true, uh, as high as you could of doing that, laying the same kind of the pyramid with each and every session, would that it would be just kind of a lower pyramid, right? Just, just so small increases of performance that you wouldn't, barely notice them or even you couldn't notice them but but then again you wouldn't take much of a risk right and and you'd still have like so if you have a base period back off you'd, you'd lose your power and your speed for for a couple of months and then you go back up well so you climb back up and then why is that let's say it's a third of a year so let's say that you could bid, build a lower peak but the whole year without taking any risk. This makes sense to me that, that the, the, to using, if you want to use phase potentiation and, and general and specific exercises, it's, it's fine, but why not do it in, in each and every session pretty much or every training week? Why, why do it with longer cycles? And that too would fit into most athletes kind of competition schedule now because people compete not only once or twice a year, but in most sports like like real sports, let's say real sports, not only CrossFit, right? Uh, people have so many races now and they need to perform in each and every one of those in order to be selected for whatever national team they're trying to get into or even, even into the Olympics, right? In the Olympics, you have, you have to 
I, I think it's like that in in Canada and America, right? That you have to you have to uh, really succeed in some competition a month or two outside uh, out before the Olympics. Okay. So then that doesn't leave much room for 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 base periods, does it? Right? Yeah, an interesting. An interest. So I, a couple things there. One, just to start off with, it's interesting you mentioned. You know, a lot of times uh, at at the most important event, people don't actually have their best performance. Yeah. Um, and like a lots of times in CrossFit, that best performance happened at the regionals, right? Or it happens in the qualifier itself. And then when the actual event comes, they don't perform as well, even though they are quote unquote peaking for it, right? So mm -hmm. that's interesting. <clears throat> I think with the, um, I like the analogy of the pyramid and just like, because that's a very common and the idea of like, you know, the, what you're, what you're talking about with the, like an example that you use in your articles with to do with like, if like, what's a better example to have is to have, if you're on a glacier, is it better to have a map of like an, an exact map of the glacier? Or is it better to have like three things that you can triangulate off? Uh, as a way to see where you are and find out what to do. Um, I think the reason that people prefer the map and people prefer to do more training um, as opposed to do different training or to think of it differently, like the tactics you're talking about, is because it just, I think it's like, it, it seems logical to do, right? You would go, wow, I need, I need to be better at this. So let's just do more of it because that's going to be better. Um, and if I, I need to understand this terrain, so let's really try to map it out completely and then I'll understand it. But the analogy is very good with the glacier because human beings and athletes are like that. They're ever changing and ever evolving. So if you believe you have a map, you are guaranteed to be wrong because they're going to change and they're always evolving and changing. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of really good points um, in there that I, I, I completely agree with, which maybe that's why I'm interviewing you, but it's just, it, it, it's a great way to think of it because I, I very much despise the idea that you're going to understand everything about them and you're then going, and you're therefore going to detail out what they're going to do four months from now. To me, that's insane. Um, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. It's exactly what you describe it as. It's like a safety blanket. It's like you have this, you, it makes you feel very safe. And then, uh, yeah. And then like the, another thing you mentioned is that it's, it's just really hard to see what's directly in front of you. Um, and maybe that's why people go for, or and especially definitely novice coaches, right? People who are less, less confident or, and less, less, I guess, less sure of their abilities. They might, they might gravitate towards that because it gives them some semblance of like control amongst the chaos. But then as you develop as a coach and your understanding and learning, you, you just, you see that chaos differently, right? Um, because the chaos never goes away. It's just, you learn how to deal with it really well. Yeah. It, it, it's, 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 it's a, I think people are quite afraid of uncertainty, uh, working on an uncertainty and that, that you just don't, and to, to admit that you just don't know. And it kind of, it, it's, it's really not a nice thing to do because it puts the blame. If you, if your program does not work, it's the athlete's fault pretty much because you have used all the logic and all the progressions and, and you can, you had, you had, you had a linear, linear plan here and and you were supposed to hit eight to six percent of whatever <laughs> this day and you didn't so maybe maybe you're 
you're not that athlete that you wanted to be, right? But but it's also it kind of it, it kind of upsets me a little bit because the the second time when people kind of pass that we were talking about before we started recording about the Dimming Kruger effect that well after a while so first first people think that they're really smart because they don't don't really understand the problem right. But then again, uh, I don't think that the, the kind of analogy with the Dunning-Kruger effect that after a while you became, whoa, it kind of opens up and you, you, you get accustomed to this uncertainty. I think what, what happens is that you have another peak of, of stupidness because a lot of coaches, when they, when they do this, feel like, yeah, I'm not that type of coach. I'm, I'm better than that. I'm smarter than that. So what I do is that I, I do this training program with my athletes uh, and we kind of figure out what works for them so i'm learning my athlete right so we did this training program we realized so that athlete responds to this type of of doing squats or, or the, this way of doing snatches and and this way of incorporating fatiguing scenarios together with um, technical scenarios or whatever and then they just try to do that over and over and over again and they don't that type of coach doesn't really get it because it's kind of it's kind of built upon. So if you succeeded with an athlete, if you found a way of making them better, if you if you brought their squats, you made you made them stronger, let's say, or more technically proficient. Then built into that is that you change them. So whatever you did in order to make them better in the first place will not work, will not necessarily work again, right? So you still have to keep triangulating all of the time. So it's not, it's not a case of that you get, so I, now I know how you work. You, you can't ever say that to an athlete because you don't. If you kind of found out something that did work, you did change them. And they're not the same athletes anymore. And now something else will, might work better. So the lazy coach, they kind of, the, the, the laziest coach is the, the coach that just takes the Russian squat routine and puts that upon, upon a weightlifting program and gives that to their athletes and then blend with some muscle ups or whatever. <laughs> but, but the next to that, the laziest coach is the one that finds out the way, the, the type of squat program that works for that athlete and then just keep, keep repeating it. You should never ever repeat a program. What you should, which you shouldn't even have a program. You should have a process, a way of talking to and getting information back from your athletes in order to see. So, so does it seem likely that this worked today? Like today, not not like four months ahead. So, what can you do in order to get your athletes better today? And if you do that, then you kind of also get away a little bit from from that illusion of the linear program and 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 you might escape the, the problematic thing that it, when you write stuff on a on a two-dimensional uh, kind of paper then you're the, all you have is pretty much in order to to sketch you, you you have you have lines and 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 you easily end up with working with with the properties like volume and intensity alone because they they are very well represented on a map or in a or in a spreadsheet However, task difficulty is not, right? It's, it's way more hard to describe that in, in, a, in a spreadsheet. And, and I've been thinking to this a lot. Uh, have, you, have you heard of a track coach, a sprint coach called Håkan Andersson from Sweden? No, I have not. 
No. No. Okay. Developing sprinters in Sweden, that's, that's a feat. It would be similar to developing uh, sprinters in northern Canada, I guess. I mean, it's, it's hard to sprint when you have like a two-month two summer. And, and it's ne never warm, even, even, even much warm then. And, and you don't really have indoor tracks because, I mean, everyone in, in Sweden and Canada alike, I guess, is, is, is more centered on hockey than, than track and field. So having having athletes sprint downwards to to ten seconds sharp and hundred meter, you have to be a pretty good coach. Håkan is a pretty good coach, and he he coached sprinters in Sweden, and and some some other coaching resources have discovered that. So he's he's quite well known on in in the, in the sprint or the one hundred meter dash, two hundred meter dash, and four meter dash scene uh, amongst coaches. I've I've seen him interviewed a lot. In, in American podcasts, like this speed podcast and all that. And oftentimes they ask him, so, so about plyometric progressions, right? So what progressions do you use for plyometrics? And Hawken probably tells you what most coaches would, would, would tell you that, well, I'd, 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 I, I consider these like doing extensive plyometrics is probably a, a better or, or, or a better way to start than doing like super intensive plyometrics. And then they all want to have his kind of, the, the kind of the, like the, the exact progression, right? So where do you start athletes? And, and I always get kind of, I, I, I almost laugh listening to this because it's, it's like, like two people with completely different understanding of, of it, what it means to be a coach that talks because Håkan, he just, it doesn't matter. I start them somewhere, well, and and the and the, the more kind of the logical coaches, the, the coaches that are probably stuck in a in I guess like in a, in an American academic uh, way, you you pretty much you you have to do stuff in certain orders, otherwise you wouldn't get your credential or even lose your credential as a whatever division, whatever coach. I I'm 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 not sure how that works, but it seems to be to be that way that they have this logical structure where you do always do the first progression and then you progress to the second one and third one. And for Hawken, that, that makes no sense. You start him out at some progression. It does not matter because you will look and how they perform in that progression. And you as an experienced coach will be able to judge if it's a, a too hard progression and, and why it is too hard and then be able to steer it into be a, a, a better way of, of, uh, of practice, practicing an ability. But in order to do that, you must realize what you're trying to get better, right? By doing plyometrics, because there's not many sports of plyometrics as, as there is not man, many sports of uh, peak wattage or highest FTP or best critical power or highest VO2 max, right? So you have to be kind of, uh, grounded in in what you're trying to develop and also you have to be able to look at the person in front of you and say whoa okay that was hard for you to do you didn't really hit hit the things that i wanted you to that i wanted to see when you when you performed that exercise so let's try this instead and then just well, kind of shape your athlete into it's, oh now we're now we're now we're working on what we're, what I want to work with with you today in order to make you a better athlete until tomorrow, and and that kind of keeps you grounded in in not only kind of working with that athlete and what they're capa capable of, but also it will work some something that you'd magically end up 
getting better at uh, four months down the road, but well, tomorrow. And I think doing that every day, that, that's hard though, because that means that you have to do actual coaching and not working only with spreadsheets. It is, you have to use your eyes. And, and, and I mean, you, I, I know that you have had uh, many, many clients w- that you've been working at a distance with d- during the years, and I have as well. And that is so hard. I mean, you, you, you won't ever be the best coach that you can be. And, and you're always better as a coach when you're working with someone on a day-to-day basis. And when you're doing that, though, when you write a program, so let's say you have a client that comes to work with you down at, at the Optimum Performance Training. You'd, if you have a rigid plan on what you're pr- planning to do today, like a program, how many times do you enact that program <laughs> with that athlete? Because I don't. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, um, yeah, like for example, the, like we were saying with the one session, for clients at a distance, I try to ensure that, or at least I, yeah, I try to ensure that they know, like in that session, if they're doing something and maybe just something seems wrong or seems off or seems different or what I have planned for them to do doesn't seem optimal or it's not going yeah. as planned, I want them to know that they can change it or they can do something yeah. to amend it. And then here in Calgary, I also want that. I also, I just want clients to think that anyway, like if, if I'm doing this and or whatever, right. If I, if I'm doing my snatching um, and I'm supposed to do this complex that I've written for them to do and they, you know, and they're doing like two snatchers or whatever, and they feel really good uh, as an example, if, if I see them, I, I might tell them, I, you should just go for a single right now. You should just go and try to max it out because that's what you really care about. And that's what will make you more confident if you can establish a new personal best. Because you don't care about the complex, really. You care about the single as an example, right? Or if I see an individual doing something that maybe I, that maybe I designed inappropriately and in watching them, uh, um, yeah, for sure. I would, if I, if I am able to see them perform it, I will, uh, yeah, I, I would change it. And that happens, that happens frequently, right? Or like, for example, one of my clients last week, she's on her way kind of, she's on her way kind of back out. And it's, it's a good example because she's on her way back out of a program and back. She's, she realized, she, re, she realized through a process that, uh, and it wasn't with me, but she realized through a process that if you, if you stop working on the sport, you get extremely bad at the sport, right? Like, yep. so you can't, you can't just fix these like I said, you can't just fix these things. You can't just correct. You can't do correctives and you can't fix the underlying mythical problem and expect that to elevate you above where you were. And yeah. she, and she's, she's learned that, right? So she's learned that. And that's a, and that's a great example of what you're talking about. And which, which she now knows, she knows that that's not how things that, that that's not optimal. You can't just remove yourself from the sport and expect some magic is going to happen because you're going to lose your top end. You're going to lose your low end. You're going to lose everything because yeah. it's, it's like, it's what you're, it's a very obvious thing. You don't even appreciate what's happening right in front of you. And that the, all those things that you're doing day to day is what makes you good and is what makes you able to do this. And you think you can remove all these things, but you don't understand they're integral to your performance. And I guess the analogy, a good analogy would be like the, uh, the military plane you posted as the analogy, right? All you see 
coming back from the plains in World War II are the bullet holes in these areas. And you go, wow, we, there's something wrong here. And you go, yeah, but <laughs> these are the planes that came back. What about the ones that didn't come back? Where were those bullet yeah. holes, do you think? Yeah, and it's, it's, it's just hard to see things right in front of you. But sorry, the point of my comment was that uh, this individual, like last week or two weeks ago, she was doing like a little warm up section I had for her because we're reintroducing a bit of fatigue plus uh, gymnastics. And she's like, hey, can I do three rounds of this instead of two? I feel really good. And I'm like, yes, yeah, do it. That Because I'm like, that's what I want you to do. I want you to do that, but I'm still a little cautious in how much to give you. But you talk with the individual and like you're yeah. saying, you're, you triangulate where you are and you go, this is what we want. So yes, do three rounds of it and let's see how this works. And then the other, the last point I'll make when I'll let you continue on is, I can't remember exactly what you were saying, but it's the, it's like what you're trying to do with someone's program. And some of the questions I get sometimes is like, Hey, I just like an idea. Uh, like, 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 for example, it's, it's November right now. Like, what do you think my program will look like in February? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. It might look somewhat similar to what we're doing now or whatever. It's like, cause you're, I, I don't ever take you out of what you're doing. Like, I, I, like if you're like, we're, we're always going to kind of work on, the same type of thing but it's gonna it's gonna slightly mold itself differently and we'll move things around it's not going to be like this is phase one this is phase two this is phase three it's just like i might say that but that's not what happens it's just like it's this line that's kind of moving and gravitating and it might move this way but it's not it's not they're not distinct and then i also the also point of it is i don't know like i don't know how you're going to adapt to things and what's going to happen in december I don't, I don't know. And we're going to have to continually talk about that and see how things are going. And we can get that from your feedback, from your results, obviously. And, and, and obviously just seeing how things are going and what you look like. And we might have a good idea as to how, as to how, as to then go forward, just a slight bit forward, just a little bit farther in front of where we currently are. Yeah. But I, I yeah. And that's, that's kind of the only point I wanted to make there. Cause that's yeah, a common, yeah. common, a common thing I hear from individuals, clients, because they want, they, they want some semblance of security too, right? So you would go, maybe, maybe, maybe telling them what their program will be like in February might be helpful for them because it might make them just stop thinking about it. Uh, and then when you get to February, they won't even know anyway. Or you talk with them and explain to them how things work. What would you do? Well, I, I, so sometimes we use stuff like, measuring vo2 max or critical power or whatever because it kind of it it, it it can cause buy-in which could be beneficial in some some sort of way uh, most of the times i do not uh what i what i try to do is to be really transparent with my process and usually that that works really well i think um it it it, it all comes down to your com communication skills uh and from what I see is is that you have quite good communication skill. You 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 so in, in order to in order to establish this this relationship on a communicative base. I'm sorry, I, I'm I'm not I'm not fluent in English, man. I haven't spoken English in a while. We started talking about that before we started You're, recording. I haven't been traveling. Yeah. <laughs> you're pretty good we, we, i can i yeah. can speak english i can't speak anything else so you're you're part uh, of me buddy 
Yeah, well, our two options is doing this in my my shitty English or you doing it in Swedish. So <laughs> <laughs> let let let's let's stick with English. Anyways, so uh, but so I think as a coach, you will need to instead of of trying to build this plan and this progression and 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 kind of try to calculate how how good you can become down the line if you if you do uh, squats in 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 this set of reps rep scheme and and the next week in the in in another one and all that is to start with what you see when your athlete is actually performing uh when, when do your athletes you know struggle in racing or or during competition uh, and and to describe those situations without explaining like like this is so hard to do without explaining why they happen and then i i i would as a coach describe that to your athletes and and see if they agree with that and usually they they do or they can help you because usually athletes they have a pretty good knowledge about their sports even when you have taken care of this because, because i mean the, the way that they see sports and the way you see sports even crossfit where you have at, at one one point in time, we're quite good athletes, but the sport has moved on and it's different. And and every athlete uh, kind of feel and 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 experience competition differently, right? So uh, so if you can do that and, and help each other in order to explain how to get better, like a specific situation. So how would I get better when I? When I do this this uh, complex with snatches and and muscle ups, I usually have a problem after the third set because I I have a problem with fatigue in my in my hands. Yeah, okay, interesting, interesting. Then maybe we should try to make you better in that specific situation, right? So then we have a couple of situations that we can train upon, right? And how do we train? train that well we put them in similar situations we usually probably overload it we use use of course um interval intervals in order to to train it a little bit more than you would do in a in a competition setting or uh on, on the contrary you could you could you could force for some variation by different matters making it easier making it harder i i actually do a lot of so there's a there's a couple of, of good scientists doing this. It's uh, it's called Schellhorn, uh, which which kind of a, a German scientist delved into to the idea that if you have some kind of noise when you're developing a signal, then you end up with a stronger signal, pretty much. And then you have uh, uh, this scientist called Gabriele Wolf, which uh, delved into how how you how how you get have uh, different um, focus points when doing an exercise in order that you strengthen a capacity you can work with with that a lot and i do it i've had my athletes do like um, it's a, a somersault when you like a, the, when you do a somersault and then do do chest to bar pull ups or muscle ups just because you get you get quite being upside down and tumbling around and then doing something skillful you really have to go into uh, using whatever is automatic in that uh, in that in in that behavior in that situation for your body and then you as a coach can really see how good your athletes really are right mm -hmm. or you do 20 seconds of 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 uh, assault bike all out and then do double unders well you'll see if they really can do double unders mm -hmm. like really automatically so you force people into a scenario 
when they struggle, even though they do simple tasks, right? So you can do that. You, you put them into situations and try to strengthen those specific situations. But even when you're doing so, you, you, you lack one, one important thing that you have to, to have to think about is that how you communicate when you describe those scenarios, right? And, and I think if, if we start from what you see in competition and you listen to what your athletes are saying when they describe those situations, you pick up their language on how it kind of feels when they do that movement, right? And then you can try to take your knowledge about the movement themselves, because I mean, we're all, all people listening to this podcast are, are probably coaches with technical proficiency about movement and mechanics and all that. And then you don't use your phrasing or your wording and you try to put them in their wording and their phrasing, right. And into a, into a specific competition, like action language. I, I, I talk a lot about this in the third part of the series that you, rather than using a concept language, which is so, so broad and can be interpreted in so many different ways, shapes or forms, depending on your, your history in a sport or with a movement, you can instead you can use action language that you can pick up from your athlete, uh, because sports are not made of concepts or metaphors. It's made of actions. <laughs> you you win in sports by taking action, and then you can put down fairly kind of strong and and useful phrases or or coaching points that your athletes will instantly understand what you're trying to accomplish, and if you can do that. And do that in a really good way. Probably even even a even a program that you 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 do with um, clients that are not on site. Uh, you can you can describe to them what you're trying to accomplish with the practice of of like you said a, a complex of snatches, and have them kind of mold that a little bit into. So I did this because it really felt like it strengthened my whatever. Uh, in 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 a competition setting, so so this is pretty much what I'm trying to do. I'm I'm just I'm just trying to start in the here and now, and then build into that theory and physics and and technical frameworks and science instead of of going the other way around. Because I'm I'm not only the the, the fun guy that doesn't read studies. I I am that guy as well. I just don't want to use that language with my athletes. It would make no sense. Every year, I, I coach I coach kids as well, like uh, fairly good kids in different uh, in different athletic disciplines at at my CrossFit gym. Uh, we do this for for this sports sports uh, high school setting. So, a competitive athletes, uh, many of them in their national teams of their different sports, and. Usually every year I, I get one of these this university uh, pe people taking their university exam and as the last part of their exam, they're supposed to have uh, one more kind of practical experience. So, so they're out working in schools with these athletes and some of, some of them come to me in order for me to mentor them. I think this is the type of, uh, of uh, scientific exam, that, so something that you under, underwent, right, Michael, when, when you were in school? This type of uh, becoming a trainer, right? Being, um, being able to use, to use science in order to, to strengthen sports performance. Yeah, we never, there was no, there was no training uh, focus whatsoever in my university. 
uh, unfortunately. <clears throat> there was like small sections of it, but there wasn't uh, at all. It was very, it was very lab Cody, <laughs> right? Yeah. It was very much, this is how things work. This is how it is. Yeah. So no, so even, even worse, even worse, right? So these kids so at least have an, have an, have a possibility to go and, and practice their coaching ability before actually having their exam. And, and, and usually one or two of them end up uh, under my mentoring uh, each year. And every time the first couple of sessions, I, I have to kind of, well, good work. Well, not really usually, but, but <laughs> some of said that they mean well but but usually i have to also tell them that if you use a latin word for a muscle with my kids one more time i'm gonna kick you in the nuts man <laughs> but they still do that because wait why because at the university they've been thought that this is the correct thing to do that you should use a latin word a latin word for a muscle and and then like the next the next thing they do is they use a Swedish word for, for the same muscle, but that is also not the good way to do it, right? Because, I mean, sports is not performed with a muscle. It's performed with movement and with actions. So I, 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 I get, and, and this is pretty much kind of on the smaller scale, that the issue here, that you shouldn't end up reading studies or scientific books and use the words that are used in those studies because it's only made to work like that because it works in studies. It does not work like that in the real world in, in force, but it's, it's usually beneficial for you as a coach. Obviously you need to know the, the Latin word for this and this muscle. Otherwise you couldn't talk to other coaches on a, on a, like a really higher level technical uh, point of view. Right. But yeah, never, never pretty- ever use that word with your athletes yeah that's what i was that's what i wanted to clarify right so you're well um a lot what i get from it right is that people who may may misinterpret what you're saying you're not you're not advocating for not educating yourself you're not advocating for that you're saying because point when you're saying you know like there's no like what's the point of focusing on with your like you're saying with the with the young coaches don't focus on the bicep aspect of of uh of like a row or like a barbell row or a pull-up don't talk about it like that talk about it in a different way that you that so you can talk with them and you're not just talking at them but the point i'm trying to say is that um what what like even even though you have you would say you don't want you don't want to talk to your athletes you talk to your clients with this type of language that you would read in scientific papers but as a coach you you still need to know all of this stuff because oh man yeah yeah, because then you need to learn how to transcend that information and make use of it in your program if it's usable, but then also be able to discuss things with other coaches. Because if you don't understand the concepts or the underlying physiology of it, you can't discuss it with other people. And then you yourself can't actually, you, you can't get closer to the truth of what you actually might know. And, and, and also that I hate coaches that only starts with science because they're they're not realizing that science works with averages and if you only if you only use science without kind of appreciating the context where you're putting the science into you will be an average coach not more than that so you have to have both right it's it's like uh, i i I like the saying that 
uh, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. I think that's a, <laughs> a, a pretty, pretty good, <laughs> so, something to bring with you in life as a coach. But, but then again, so for instance, in, in this series, I, I'm not advocating not taking the easy route and, and knowing the physiology and really going deep, deep, deep when it comes to theory. For instance, it, I, I end up, like we talked about also before we started recording, about the, the ending of this area where I go a little bit, maybe a little bit full retard when trying to describe how I would select exercises for a sprint cyclist, right? Is that you really have to be knowledgeable enough to know that maybe a power clean would not be the correct way of practicing a, a proximodal sequence or, or the triple extension because the biarticulate qualities of the calf muscle will inhibit that if the calf is not put in a in a neutral position which it is not for a cyclist so always in a in a dorsiflex position which will inhibit actually a correctly performed proximodal sequence aka the triple extension which like if if you wouldn't have a technical quite quite deep technical knowledge about how muscles attach to bone and where they do attach and how they do work then you wouldn't be able to see that right and then maybe you wouldn't put out an exercise that that is good enough to to make your athletes better like 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 i said before being a being a coach is not about being nice it's also about being competent and being able to make your your athletes to get better but when you when you communicate all that stuff, you, you wouldn't mention the proximodal sequence, or you wouldn't really talk about sarcomeres or or much muscle attachment points. You would just you would just use the language. So when you're on a bike, your ankle is flexed. So let's make you really really explosive, w- uh, pushing with uh, an already flexed ankle. So if you're collapsing in your ankle, that's not good. Let's keep it flexed. Well, that is harder. Yes, it is. <laughs> That's yeah. why we're practicing it. Yeah, good. Yeah, I think the last thing I want to ask you about, kind of uh, previously what I was talking about, again, just for clarification for listeners, I guess when you're discussing the concept of noise in the system and developing skill and, and motor learning and proficiency yeah. in movement. So you discussed the idea of like maybe do, doing something prior to doing um, a gym, a chest bar pull up. So to think about it, at what point in the development of that movement, would you, would you think that's appropriate to introduce to Mac to basically get maximal proficiency in that movement in the context of the sport? And I'll just set you up for this. So think of it like, you know, a gymnast. So if you have someone with gymnastics, like a gymnastics training background, Uh, And then they come into CrossFit and when you watch them do the gymnastic movements, even, even a handstand walk or lots of handstand pushups, they may not, they may never do kipping handstand pushups in their gymnastics training or chest to bar pull-ups or toes to bar or bar muscle-ups or handstand walking specifically, but they have what you, they, they, they perform it the way you want them to perform it. You're like, this is really good. And I'm, I'm, I'm making an assumption here. So I don't know. You could assume that they probably, that that people in CrossFit perform gymnastic movements in more different scenarios or those gymnastic movements perform them in different scenarios than anybody. Right. So like the, the way you're going to perform a toes to bar in 
in, in, in many different scenarios with, you know, with a lot of fatigue in the shoulders, a lot of fatigue in the legs, maybe a lot of fatigue directly in the grip, maybe a lot of fatigue in the back or whatever. And you're going to perform the toes to bar following any number of movements or preceded by any number, like whatever. Yeah. So there's innumerable types of variations for a CrossFitter to perform a toes to bar and to become, and to have that as being a learning opportunity versus the gymnast who maybe never does that, but always is able to perform the toes to bar perfectly in CrossFit with some exception. So just think about that. And then my question is, at what point do you think it's really important to introduce that and to get away from, uh, again, the really rigid progressions and to get into more of the the exploratory aspect of this is the problem of this person in the sport and we need to work on this. So so basically, I'm a person that like to how, how, how do you say that? Hedge my bets Is that <laughs> cover all the, cover all the, how, how do you, how do you say that? Cover, cover the, <clears throat> I, I like, I like to do, I like to look a little bit of everything. So, because it, there's, when deciding upon one to, what to do in a, in a program or a session or with a movement, I, I tend to go for the low risk or the kind of the no risk options and i i try to keep things on a very short time frame because usually everything you do if you end up taking the wrong path it's reversible or at least you can correct it right uh, it would be like if if you take off with high speed in a specific a specific direction if you if you aren't stopping to look where you are until until at a later stage you might be quite well off. So I hedge my bets. I cover all the positions. So what I do, and I would do this pretty much, but differently for a gymnast or a rugby player or a CrossFit athlete. But basically what I do is like I work with a process rather than a program. So my process would be first, and this would, we, we, could, we could use this for a CrossFit athlete. I usually use this as a, we can call it a block if you want to, or we call it a week or two weeks or whatever. At first, I work with increasing how hard a skill is. So a skill is. So I just make it harder. So for instance, if if I would work with let's say snatches, for instance, so I would always work from the end of a movement because there are some evidence suggesting that how we how we sort things in our motor cortex or our memory, our movement memory, would be by how the result of the movement, right? So starting from then. So I, if I if I would work with snatches, I would always end up with a barbell over my head, like in a in a in the finishing position. And basically, uh, increasing complexity would be moving away from that. So a, a good way of making a very uh, a snatch with very little complexity complexity would be a push press from behind the neck, and then. Uh, Going from there would be kind of a drop snatch from behind the neck. And then you would go from the power position into a, into a power snatch, power to power, and then power to, to catching it seated and then standing up. So you move from, from, from the end into a, a more complex or longer movement, like larger chunks of a movement. Does that make sense? So I would have one block where I introduce a larger chunk. I just make it a harder movement. But a more, just only doing that movement. So keep that movement separated from other things. 
but make it harder. And then I wouldn't work. I, I wouldn't use fatigue that much. I would control fatigue a lot, like uh, as a coach. And I would be quite, quite uh, transparent with what I wanted to see. I would direct the athletes quite much. So when I introduce a new movement, I also have a lot of, um, uh, I instruct them a lot. And then I do the same movement, maybe another week, but I back off on instructions and then I see how they would perform because that would make sense to me. Did they really understand or did they just follow my instructions, right? So then I would, so EMOMS is really good to use in that. So for us that worked with CrossFit, EMOMS work because you have complete control about fatigue, volume, intensity, everything, right? Okay. So more instructions, less instructions, harder movement. The next phase, I would introduce fatigue with the same movement, right? So I would do some fatiguing scenarios, you know, four times, AMRAPs, whatever. Yeah. And I same, same thing, more instructions the first week. So I would want you to hit these positions, or I want you to focus on, on catching the bar at the same time, kind of have balance upwards and downwards at the same time from catching the bar in that snatch, even though you're a little bit tired. And the next week, less instructions, and then watch them and see. So do they get it? Like, is, is the movement too hard? Because otherwise, I will probably keep it and, and just do more iterations of it. And then I would practice it in higher speed. So with intervals, like in a competition setting. And then I would go back and see, well, have we strengthened this movement? How, how would I know, Michael? Mm -hmm. So I would probably use some kind of like, super fatiguing situation so like the 20 seconds assault bike sprint and then do the movement and watch so if they do it somewhat proficiently in that situation where they're like uh well you, you know how you feel about after doing that then well oh good they actually know how to do this there's no point of practicing this in isolation maybe another turn or another iteration let's try to make this movement harder and then just go through these iterations and this process time and time again. And I would prob probably use this for a gymnast as well. And I'm, I'm not sure if, if that's just because I'm a bad gymnast trainer uh, and a better CrossFit trainer, or I also think it would work. I, I really do, because that's a good way of kind of working with different, different ways of introducing noise. So noise from a harder movement and then keep that movement which is not anymore that hard for the athlete, kind of introduce some noise by fatigue and then do that and then introduce noise through just the speed of movement, kind of pushing the movement a little bit. And then just round and round it goes. Yeah. That, that's the process I would use. Yeah, the, um, the analogy I like to use or think of with, with developing skills like that or de and progressing those is kind of like, you know, those spin tops? Where you push the top and it spins more yeah. like when you have like a beginner individual right you push the top and it's it's really wobbly and you better not touch it because if you touch this moving if you touch the spinning object it's going to tip over and that's the idea you would think of with in terms of the noise that that system can handle it can't handle um any type of perturbation it, it's not complex enough to handle and exactly. deal with this and it, and most importantly deal with it to adapt to new scenarios so, right, as you get that thing spinning faster and faster, you want to see what you can perturb it with and how, how it reacts and how things work, right? 
but at, at a point there's like, <laughs> like if you just keep trying to make it spin faster and get good at toast of our imperfect at some point you're like, but this is not contextual to the sport whatsoever anymore. Like we've gone from the yeah. part of development, progress, progress to you're not getting anything out of this anymore. Like you need, you need to start taking this and seeing yeah. what happens when you start, start, start smacking the side of this thing and what happens here. Yeah. And that's, that's when you start programming somersaults before, <laughs> before, before toast of ours and all that. People can see which are my athletes in the gyms <laughs> because they do all the, the craziest shit. But it, it's, it's just about, it's, it's a way I've, I think of it like, so instead, if you get stuck in a loop of doing more, eventually you will find out how, how much your athlete, it's kind of the point, right? So how much can my athlete take? But well, you don't really want to find out. Because you find out by your athletes going even either becoming depressed or getting injured. So I, I try to, so let's, and, and this could be a, a, a good test for, for coaches out there in order to, you have an athlete, you want to get them better at doing muscle ups, but you're not allowed to do more than 10 muscle ups every week. So how would you do that? Mm-hmm. How would you progress it when you don't have the easy option of doing 12? 15 20 muscle ups or doing weighted muscle ups i don't know but could you progress it anyways because i think you can you can just do different not more and that's that's and it's such a safe and also i think efficient way of of progressing athletes and also it, it has you so then muscle ups does not consume all the all the training time you have in the week as well because you only have to do 10 of them but you'd have to work with, I know, uh, I guess your 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 fantasy and and uh, and you have to be playful and skillful as a coach and use your eyes. So, does it seem like we're strengthening the skill, like you said, perturb a little bit and see what happens? Well, perturb not so much that it wobbles and, and falls over, just that it wobbles a little bit and then finds its pace again, right? Mm-hmm. That, that's how, how you should treat coaching i think yeah and the anal- and my analogy fails because again like when you're talking about the pyramid uh humans aren't this we're not this unconscious spinning object right not only do we we adjust to perturbation we adapt to perturbation right? exactly one one week one perturbation would work and the next week it wouldn't right and this is a, so i i gives me so much consolation too. And when I describe this to athletes and really get them to understand that, I, I mean, working at 93%, I don't know what 93% of my whatever max is each and every week and your athletes won't, won't do that either. Uh, the, o- the only athlete that should work with percentages like that is the one that needs to hit something in order to qualify for an Olympic team, have to throw like 23 meter with a hammer or, or, or something, uh, and, or, or be able to lift. Oh, I, I really need to be able to lift 153 come February in the, in the clean and jerk, because otherwise I, I won't, I, I won't be selected for my team, but, but for most other people, you, probably shouldn't use words as 86% or whatever, one rep max, use heavy. So I want you to build to a heavy three that you're kind of, that you feel that, that you feel good about posting on the Instagram. I use that a lot. <laughs> so it kind of keeps people to, because they want to look good. Right. Mm-hmm. And I, I want them to, and movement should look good. It, it should look, it shouldn't be totally controlled if it's a heavy one. 
but it should be within the limits of control, right? And telling athletes, and this this is such a relief for them. So if you are tired and going to the gym, working, e- even though you, you had 100 kilos in this lift last week, and heavy today with, with good form and no kind of that your movement mechanics broke down or changed during the movement, you, you only went to 90 today because you didn't sleep that well. And well, you had another session this morning. You probably accomplished the same thing. You pushed your system, right? And this is the thing when we started at that we talked about. So trying to identify exactly what what is underneath the hood that makes your clock tick or whatever that makes us humans work so if you're working a specific movement surely you're training those capacities while doing that movement like perfectly you have a perfect overlap on what happens within your system right when you're doing that movement maybe don't you don't really need to mow move to know exactly what that is that happens within your system you don't need to know about what happens on a cellular basis because you're pushing it if if you want to run at a specific pace run at that pace and you're going to push the exactly the cellular adaptations that you want to be pushed right yeah okay i think that's uh yeah i think that was good yeah, I'll, I'll include your uh, your information uh, in the post and uh, the podcast episode. And yeah, that was really enjoyable. I had a, I really enjoyed chatting with you about this. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm I'm bummed that you're not coming out to Sweden this this weekend. We would have had beer <laughs> for one. <laughs> Good. Michelle is coming over, so we'll have beer. Oh well, yeah. I I am I am a little jealous for sure. Um, I would love to hang out with you guys and see Bjorn again. Yeah. But yeah, but thanks for taking the time. That was this. Yeah, was thank you. I know people, if they listen to it, they read your article, they'll learn something. I know some people may learn a lot, which will be very good. And more than anything, it'll make them think about what they're doing. And that's, that's really, that's really all I wanted. Yeah. And that's all I want too, by, by coaching and writing and, and putting it out there and, and, and uh, put my contact information out there because I'd, I'd love to get in touch with people. And this is, I mean, having to answer questions about the way I think and the way I do it, either, either I can explain it and, and strengthen that. I, well, I think, well, it was a good decision or I can't, and that's also good because then I'm doing it wrong or I could do it differently. Right. Yeah. If you learning, if learning, you're okay with that. I'll just include your email in the, in, in the email sure. as well. All right. That's very nice. Sure. Okay, man. You guys, thank you. Thank you Michael. Your, enjoy your weekend. Have fun. <laughs> I will, man. Okay. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. If you like the episode and know someone else that will, please share it with them as it helps to grow our reach. If you haven't done so already, please leave us a review wherever you listen. For questions about topics covered on the show or topics we haven't covered yet, send those questions to spiraloutpodcast at gmail.com. We do read the emails and have some topics that were submitted by listeners and we plan to cover them in the near future. You can follow at optimum underscore performance underscore training on Instagram to find out when new episodes are available. And last but not least, if you guys are in Calgary, come by and check out the gym. We offer individual design as well as personal training for those close by. If you live far, head over to optimumperformancecalgary.com to get information on remote coaching and athlete camps. 
catch you guys in two weeks